Let's start with our visualization and the recitations first. Yeah. And then uh, we'll get into the text today. Although I, knowing me, I may get distracted too and talk about what's happening in the world. So because there's... uh, There's a link between our Dharma practice and what's happening in the world. Yeah. If you haven't figured that out, then something's missing. (laughs) Okay? Because we clearly created the karma to be here while what is going on is going on. Yeah. Okay. So we didn't necessarily make it happen in this life through, you know. But from karma, we are born here. Then there are actions we did in this life that influence what happens in the world, either directly or indirectly. Okay. So uh, what we come up with when we look at the whole totality is there's so many causes and conditions that have to come together for every small thing that happens. Okay? And that to trace all the causes and conditions is is something be, beyond us. Okay? But it is helpful to trace what we can. Yeah? Uh, what is karmic? What depends on uh, personal choices, what hap- depends on government institutions, what depends on other people's way of thinking. I mean, there's so much going on here. And we can't control it all. And we certainly feel like we should be able to, right? You know, that we should, we see everything clearly, what is wrong with this world. And if people only listen to us, we could fix it all. Yeah, in other words, yeah, we, we have perfect understanding and we should be able to control it and control all these ridiculous sentient beings, you know, and make them do what we want because we are so benevolent and have so much compassion for these jerks. Yeah? Sound familiar? Going on in here, huh? (laughs) Until we realize that maybe the chief jerk is in here. But then we go, no, not me. I am not the chief jerk. Yeah. I see things realistically. I am wise. I am kind. It's not me. Yeah. And that shows how stupid we are. Yeah. It does. It does. I mean, the more you practice the Dharma, the more stupid you see you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really, you know, you begin to think. Real. I mean, you meditate on something like just impermanence. You know, you meditate gross impermanence, not even subtle impermanence. Gross impermanence. You meditate on gross impermanence, and then you look at your mind, and 
the understanding of gross impermanence and my mind are very far apart. Yeah, I have things very nicely planned out, it, just even for today. Yeah, and I, I have my list of everything I'm going to do. Yeah, and I can control it all and get it all accomplished. And then the day doesn't turn out that way at all. Yeah. And things come out of nowhere, seemingly. And we go, what What happened? What happened? This isn't according to my schedule. And the Abbey schedule. And nobody ever changes the Abbey schedule. So why is it changing now? <sighs> Well, this is even gross impermanence, you know. So, uh, yeah, we begin to see that that reality and our mind, just even in many conventional things, are, are very far apart. Not even talking about how we perceive things and how, we, you know, they appear to us to truly exist and how we grasp that appearance is true and think that there are real solid, concrete personalities, you know, and concrete people. So we have concrete friends and concrete enemies, you know, and this whole disaster and war in the world right now is due to one person. Yeah, I mean, that's what everybody's saying, at least in our country. <laughs> you know, that's what the news says. It's all one person, his ego trip. Yeah. And so we put all the blame on one person. It's actually, you know, yeah, he has some, he has something to do with it, definitely, you know, but he couldn't do what he's doing unless there were other people who went along with it. Okay? So, yeah. So, I mean, this this really just shows how we like everything in nice, neat boxes. Yeah. There's a war in Ukraine. Ukraine. Putin is the instigator. It's all his fault. That's it. Okay. I've got that figured out. Yeah. The solution? Uh, well, the Russians should rise up against their dictator and get rid of him. Yeah. So, uh, you know, all we need to do is get the right information to them, and then they'll hate him and they'll vote him out or do whatever they need to do. Yeah. See? Very simple. Who's going to come after him? Yeah. What's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to the people who support him? What's going to happen to the sanctions? I mean, there's so many things going on. Yeah. But I need my nice little box where I can put everything in because it makes me feel so secure. Because this world is very insecure.
we don't really know what's going to happen. And then you see what's going on. The people try, you know, who are trying to escape from the bombing and the artillery and everything in Ukraine and how freaked out they are, you know, because our nice, neat patterns in life, you know, we always say, oh, I don't like rituals. You know, they do the same thing. Our life is so much a ritual. Yeah. You have your own early morning ritual. You have your before you go to bed ritual. You have all sorts of, you know, we, we have ritual because it gives context and control. <laughs> and, and yet, you know, how much do we control? And how much do we fight it when we can't control it? And how much do we fight it when it doesn't go according to our plan? Yeah. So, I mean, if you can imagine, if there were a war going on and you know you need to leave, yeah, but you don't really want to leave and you don't really know where you're going, or what's going to happen, or if you'll ever come back. Yeah, because how many people have fled yeah, where they came from and never went back? Like His Holiness. Yeah. So do you live your life as if you're going back, or do you live your life as if you're not going back? Because that's going to influence your whole mood, and it's going to influence what you do. Yeah. And influence your decisions. Yeah. So how how you know it's it's difficult to deal with impermanence. Hmm. Because it, it makes us feel very insecure. And actually, we live in the middle of impermanence, don't we? We live right smack in the middle of it. And then things happen, big and small, that didn't fit into our schedule. Yeah? And we have a schedule today. We know what's happening. might be too full. But what could happen between now and the end of the day? Nothing. Yeah. Sitting on a cushion, eating, sitting on a cushion, <laughs> eating some more, washing the dishes, sitting on a cushion, having a cup of tea, maybe talking, taking a walk that's too short, sitting on a cushion. Yeah, getting up, go to bed. Well, then our evening ritual, brush your teeth and do this and that and everything, and then go to bed. Yeah? We got the whole day planned out. (laughs) And it's been three months of this. (laughs) And you really want some excitement in your day. Until you get the excitement, like, you know, the water heater explodes or... um, Oh, uh, we've, oh, like the day, <laughs> yeah, in, in Ananda, 
when the washing machine flooded upstairs and it was leaking downstairs and we opened the ceiling and discovered, you know, not just a ant colony, but the super duper, you know, New York version of ants crowded together, you know, tons of them. And it's like, uh, this wasn't supposed to happen today. And then all of a sudden we have to move everything out from the bottom of, uh, the bottom floor of Ananda and put it outside. And, you know, and there's ants falling everywhere and there's water going everywhere. And we're trying not to kill the ants. And then that started our whole thing with ants, didn't it? And we wound up digging up, um, what were those things, that, the railway? Railroad, railroad ties, treated railroad ties. Yeah, the t- ties? Ties, T-I-E-S. Yeah, the ties. So, you know, we had a bunch of them in the garden, and we had to pull all of them up because there were probably ants living in them, and then we had to redo things in the garden, and then we realized the ants were also out in that cabin that that is no longer existent, and so we had to really do the cabin and, you know, put in, um, yeah, because it was just up on, like, short pillars, and we had to put a whole thing around it, and then we moved the fence, and it's like, yeah. And it was all the fault of the washing machine. <laughs> it did it deliberately. <laughs> yeah. Now, who can we blame the washing machine on? Harold. <laughs> <laughs> but Harold wasn't even here. Oh, it's still his fault. Easy to blame somebody who's not here. Yeah, makes you feel good, huh? Yeah, it's all their their fault. That's why they're not here because they knew the washing machine was going to explode and and reveal all these ants. But it had nothing to do with the nun who left out honey, thinking uh, on on the counter that the ants would come and eat the honey, and then it would be so easy to collect the ants and take them outside because they were all in one place. I won't tell you who that was. <laughs> She'll self-identify. <laughs> I didn't realize that they were going to put out a neon sign that said, all you can eat. <laughs> and then we had to go around. This this was the good part. We had to go around with stethoscopes. Stethoscopes. Yeah, we borrowed venerable stethoscopes. And you have to, you know, listen in the wood because you can then hear the ants if they're in there. Because we didn't know, you know, the whole house is it's wood framed. Yeah. And and we didn't know what they were, so everybody's going around with the stethoscopes listening for ants. And that was why we did this building in Foswell. So you see, all because of the washing machine. Yeah. But um, 
Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, we uh, we had a good time, huh? <laughs> okay, so now we're going to do the visualization. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to put in it Putin. Okay, his all the whole army. Yeah, uh, all his oligarchs all the Russians that are suffering, and all the Ukrainians who are scared to death, yeah, and put all of them in there, and all the other sentient beings, and all the ants. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can see when you walk up the path, the two, we have two ant colonies. As you walk up on the right side, you'll see two ant hills. Yeah, but, but they're, they weren't the ants that were in here. Yeah. Okay. So build your visualization. And we're all sitting in the presence of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. So get some idea of what a royal mess samsara is. Even we want to create virtue, even we want to be free, we encounter so many hindrances, some of them external, many of them internal. So the situation we want to be free of is the situation we're living in, which makes it very difficult to create the causes to be free of it. And this is the situation of each and every living being. And so with compassion for ourselves and for everybody else, let's generate bodhicitta and have the firm intention to become Buddhist so we can really help others and ourselves. Well, 
will be Buddhas by then. We don't need to help ourselves. But to be, to be able to really help others get out of this mess. So before I forget, um, starting next week, the teachings will be at 10 o'clock Pacific time. Okay. So 10 o'clock Pacific, 11 Mountain, 12 Central, 1 Eastern. Okay, so this, uh, what is so dicey about samsara and wanting to get out is that we're living in the middle of it. Yeah, so it's like a fish living in the middle of the fish tank trying to think of the disadvantages of the fish tank and what it would rather live in instead. And yet it's in the fish tank and it can't think of anything outside of that. And who wants to give up your, your, your water when you're a fish? So when Venerable Sepal was talking about the disadvantages of samsara in her BBC last week, this, this is what it's getting at, that just we're meditating on the disadvantages of samsara, but we're living it at the same time we're meditating on it, which makes it hard to see. And also, we face many obstacles in meditating on it, and we're living in the midst of those obstacles. So it would be so nice, we, we would really like to be able to go to some place where there aren't the obstacles so that we could really look at the situation of samsara and see exactly what the obstacles are and then overcome them. Yeah, because we're outside, you know, uh, not a person who's in, in the middle of the mass uh, looking at the mass as something separate from, from our own lives. Yeah. And that reminded me very much um, of some years ago, one of the DFF students died. And his partner, you know, of course, was, was quite upset about it. And I was thinking that, you know, when somebody dies, who do you want to talk to about it? The person that you're closest to. But for the partner, the person he was closest to was the person who died. So you're there in the middle of it, affected by it, at the same time trying to process what is going on within you. And that's how we are in samsara too. We, you know, 
were afflicted by samsara, but we're living in the middle of it. And so how do we get the space from it to look from it at it as it really is? Okay. And when we do try and see it, how it, it, how it really is, we see ourselves here meditating on the suffering out there. Okay. And then, you know, feeling so much compassion for the people out there who are suffering. But, but I'm, okay, okay, you know, I have this problem and that problem and the other, and I could really rack up all my problems and spend a few years telling you about them. But suffering is basically out there. Yeah. Aging doesn't happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. Death. That doesn't happen to me either. I know that I should say uh, later on. Yeah, I, I have a lot of things I need to do first. So, so death will happen later on after I accomplish all these other things. I know I should say that. But inside, do I feel like I'm going to die? Yeah, that one day this person who I think I am is not going to exist. And lo and behold, the world here will keep turning. That all my dear ones, everybody, they will keep going. The world is not going to end when I'm not here. How can that be? Yeah. And I'm not going to be. No. I'm going to be lift up out of this body, some kind of amorphous thing. Yeah, that's the essence of me, is going to lift up out of the body and go into the bardo, have a good time in the bardo, because you can, in the bardo, you can go here and there with just a thought. You don't have to buy a ticket anywhere. You can go anywhere except into the womb of your future mother until the causes and conditions come come uh, about for that. That's if you're going to be born in that way. Other other rebirths, you don't need to wait around. You enter the bardo. Yeah, it's, yeah, the train's there. You're out in one second, you know. Yeah, express trains to the lower realms. Def- don't have to wait for anything. Yeah, so... You know, we all, it's, everything is, is always out there somehow. Yeah. We talk about the pervasive dukkha of conditioning. Yeah. We talk about it. Does it feel like we're experiencing it right in this very moment? No. I talk about it. I here talk about it there. And it is the dukkha of all sentient beings. So all of you. Yeah. And it's really too bad. And I'm so compassionate and I hurt. But not going to happen to me. That's not my problem. Yeah. Very interesting, isn't it? The way our mind works. Yeah, how we distance ourselves from things. 
Yeah, the big truths, the big truths, like we don't exist in the way we think we exist, or that we have very little control, because whatever control we had was in creating the causes for what we're experiencing. So right now we have the control to influence our future. Yeah. Are we, are we using that ability to influence our future right now? Yeah. That, that's an interesting question. Maybe a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, I make three prostrations before teachings and at the end of teachings too. I offer my food. That should be enough to get me a good rebirth. Yeah. All those people I get mad at and criticize and say nasty things to, uh, that, 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 that is, that's all in the past. That's not going to affect my, my next rebirth. Yeah. It's in the past. It's gone. Okay. So, this chapter on enthusiasm or joyous effort, you know, is really going to try and get our mind straight about the situation we're in and are we actually dealing with it, you know, in some sort of constructive way. You'd think that that we should have already uh, learned that and then joyous effort is just how can I be happy about getting out of samsara? Um, you know, but no, it's, it's showing us a, a lot of our own inner obstacles. And what's difficult about being shown our inner obstacles is intellectually we can see, yes, I do that. I want to change. I don't want to keep thinking like that. I don't want to keep doing that. Actually, taking some action to change those habits is really hard. Yeah. And it's much easier just to kind of go on where we're going. And then we say, no, I should just overcome that. I should be like Zelensky. We're never giving up. I am fighting Samsara. I am there fighting, fighting, fighting Samsara. I'm creating virtue every minute of the day. Get out of my way so I can create virtue. Yeah, you're interfering with my creation of virtue. That's why I don't want to do the dishes because I'd rather sit and meditate and create virtue. Yeah, I remember so clearly when I was, uh, it was either right before I ordained or I was a baby nun and living at Kapan. And there was one older monk 
who, you know, of course I respected. And one day I saw him reading a Newsweek or a Time magazine. I was horrified. Yeah, you're a monk. Why are you reading about worldly affairs? They come and they go, and they have nothing to do with us. We've got to practice the Dharma. Why are you reading Newsweek? You know, of course I didn't say anything, but oh, I was like shocked and burning, you know. He was a senior Sangha member. He had been ordained three years by that time. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, three years when we all started was a long time. Yeah. And and we, you know, Rinpoche was hitting us with the evil thought of the eight worldly dharmas and the six sufferings and the three sufferings and the eight sufferings, and we were getting bashed, you know. That stuff was like getting inculcated, you know, imbued in our cells. And here he was reading a Newsweek magazine. Horrifying. Yeah, but I, I'm not going to succumb anyway. I think it's, you know, me, who is the one who's the news reporter to the whole Abbey now, you know, I, I am never going to do that. Yeah, and I am going to, you know, every thought is going to be virtuous. Yeah, please stop biting me. I'm trying to meditate. Go away, fleece. Person sitting next to me, stop moving around. Yeah. Birds chirping, you're disturbing me. And these people who make lunch, yeah, they put in these little Soy balls. That's what they're called here at the Abbey, soy balls. Yeah? And they're, they're full of protein. You know they're good. But when we lived in Asia, we called them dog food. <laughs> because they look like dog kibble, don't they? Yeah? So, we're having... Dog food, but when we don't have dog food, we don't have enough rice, I mean enough protein. But I'm going to soldier on in spite of all of that. Push, push, squeeze, squeeze. Okay? Until you figure out that that doesn't work. Yeah? And then, well, what's the middle way? Yeah, what's this middle way between just going back to my old way of whatever, yeah, and my new way of squeeze and push? What's the middle way in between that? Yeah, because I know 
either the three kinds of laziness or I know pushing. I don't know what joyous effort means. Yeah, I know what sleep and procrastination are very well. I know what distraction is and how to rationalize it very well. And I know what discouragement is too. Yeah, pretty good at that one. And I also know what pushing is. But what does practicing the Dharma with joyous effort mean? Okay, so that that's our big puzzle. And so you'll see in this chapter, Shantideva often, you know, like especially in the section we're coming up to now, talking about the laziness of procrastination and lying around, you know, he takes us all the way from our usual thing into the mouth of the Lord of Death. And then we get all worked up. And then we get neurotic. And then somebody in the meditation hall You know, I remember one time we were meditating on death and one woman who was a little bit unbalanced to start with, she ran out of the hall screaming at the top of her lungs, you know, because she had come to the wrong conclusion about the meditation on death. Yeah. So how do you get the right conclusion? How do you really... Deal with the fact that you're going to die and not freak out. Yeah? How do you break through all these defenses, psychological defenses we have, and see it for what it is and have joyous effort and an optimistic frame of mind? Because that's what the chapter's trying to get us. Yeah. So we have joyous effort. We're optimistic. We love practicing. How do you get there? Yeah. And how do you have confidence in yourself when you spent your whole life nearly putting yourself down in one way or another? either putting ourselves down or elevating ourselves. Yeah. I was reading something recently that, you know, uh, American children compared to children in, in other countries score very, very low on some of, you know, math and, and different things. The one thing they score high on is overconfidence. Isn't that interesting? Yeah? So we are overly confident about our ability to be underly capable. (laughs) Yeah? So how do we have confidence? What does that mean? How do we have confidence without being proud? How do we be realistic about our faults without putting ourselves down? Okay, so this this middle way is is really um, 
just in even conventional things is difficult to find, let alone in trying to discover how things exist. Okay. So, remember that as we're going through this, Shanti Deva is wants to help us. Yeah, his motivation is one of compassion. Can we see compassion when people tell us our faults? That's a hard one, isn't it? No. Anybody who sees my faults cannot be compassionate, let alone anybody who points them out. Because I don't have any. And it's all your projection. Yeah. You're projecting your stuff on me. I don't have that problem. I don't have that fault. Yeah. And here's somebody trying to tell us, yeah, you're going down the rabbit hole. And we say, no, there's no rabbit hole. And if there is one, you're going down it. You're the one on it. Hmm? Right? Yeah, not my rabbit hole. Then we argue about whose rabbit hole it is. Yeah, it's his, not mine. Okay. Yeah, I mean, when you retreat is so good for seeing these ways in which our mind operates, you know? Yes, I want to see my faults so that I can work on them. And then the moment somebody helps us by pointing out a fault, we get angry. Yeah. It's like we're sick, we go to the doctor, the doctor's trying to cure us, and we get mad at the doctor for making it, because it hurts. Yeah. I want pain-free surgery. Okay, here, we'll give you a bunch of drugs. Try getting off them. (laughs) Okay, so... You know, just seeing how our mind works in this way, that alone is progress. Because before, we have all these mental habits and we don't even notice them. Yeah. We just are blithely going around. And then, you know, we start to see them and we are horrified. And then we do our usual thing of how terrible I am. Yeah. Oh, it's so good I saw my fault. How terrible I am. I have that fault. I shouldn't have it. I've worked so hard to not have it in any way. It's why is it a problem? Yeah. Why is it a problem that I have a fixed schedule about when everything should happen and and who should make it? Why is that a problem? That's why I went to college. You know, I got an education. That's what they taught me. Yeah, it should be good. Why is that a problem now? Yeah. 
And then you say, does that mean I just throw everything out? I become totally disorganized? Yeah. Oh, it must mean that. I'm at one extreme. Why not go to the other one? I'm totally, you know, disorganized. So I just leave my clothes on the floor and don't wash my dishes. And yeah, I saw somebody who was doing that. I happened to peer on the, look at their windowsill. And there was a statue of the Buddha, and next to it was a dirty uh, bowl uh, filled with part of an of a apple that was now in the process of disintegrating it. And so that person had conquered being uptight. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you just let it, yeah, I'm not going to be uptight, I'm going to... Do all those things I never let myself do before, and just yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's hard, and especially when somebody points it out in front of the whole group. <gasps> now everybody will know. I'm the one who put out the honey. <laughs> But it worked. All the ads came. (laughs) (laughs) Right, like you said, all you can eat. And they came, you know. The problem was escorting them out after they came. Yeah, because just like at a a drive-thru McDonald's, there's a long line of the ads. (laughs) Okay. So, verse, oh, we're on verse 5 already. <laughs> okay. So right now he's, he's talking about the first kind of laziness, yeah? The laziness of just lying around, of sleeping, yeah? Of taking it easy, yeah? Yeah, relaxing. So watch how the mind says, oh, relaxing is bad. I shouldn't relax at all. Yeah. I'm in the mouth of the Lord of death. (laughs) And he has bad breath. (laughs) And his, you know, his teeth are falling out. (laughs) He needs a good dentist. Except he's going to kill me. Okay. So no real Lord of Death. Yeah. Anthropomorphizing it. So do I not see that the Lord of Death is systematically slaughtering my species? Actually, he doesn't need to do it himself. We do it to ourselves. I mean, this war is like, who needs Lord Death? We'll kill each other. He can go on a vacation. Whoever remains soundly asleep surely behaves like a buffalo with a butcher. In India, sometimes you're driving on the highway, hopefully going in the right direction that the traffic is going in, but not always. We have stories about that one, too. Um, 
and you'll see a, a big truck with uh, chickens in cages. Yeah. Or with, you know, not so many the cows. I think the cows, they mostly slaughter and then ship the meat. But here you see the ones in America, you see the ones with the cows. But in India, mostly chickens. And chickens don't want to be in the cages. They don't know what's going on. Yeah. So kind of like, I don't feel comfortable, but what's going on? Uh, I think some of the refugees feel that way too, you know? I, I gotta get out of where I am, but I have no idea where I'm going. Okay. Whoever remains soundly asleep surely behaves like a buffalo with a butcher. Years ago, I was in uh, Paris, and we took a walk in the butcher district. I like seeing what life is about. And there were a whole, you know, these great big um, uh, garbage things, the green ones that they have behind restaurants. There were one after the other of those filled with cow's heads. Yeah. And you just walk by and there were the heads and the eyes looking at you. I'm sure those cows knew something was up. Yeah, but they didn't know what. And it's kind of like us, you know. Yeah, I'm going to die. But when death comes, it's like, no, not now. Not now. Not me. When having blocked off every escape route, the Lord of death is looking for someone to kill. How can I enjoy eating? And likewise, how can I enjoy sleep? Okay. So this does not mean that you shouldn't eat. It does not mean that you shouldn't sleep. Okay. What it's talking about is changing our attitude towards eating and sleeping and not doing it in excess. Doing it to nourish the body, keep the body healthy, but without enjoying some, you know, falling into, isn't samsara wonderful? I can eat all this fine food, and isn't it great? I can sleep all day in my nice, soft or firm, depending on what you like, bed. Okay? In other words, the mind that we have that just likes to pass time and lie around and sleep more than we really need to, but we've justified that we really need to sleep that much. Yeah. You know how we, how we do that? And then we say, no, I'm not going to justify that I really need 10 hours of sleep. I'm going to go down to six. And then, you know, that doesn't work. How do you, how do you balance it? Yeah. When I was studying in India, you know, and in, in the texts, uh, they tell, they tell you 
that there's uh, six periods of the day, three during the day, three during the night, okay? And the one in which we should sleep is the middle period in the middle of the night. So that's four hours. Yeah. All the rest, we should be creating virtue, doing practice. Yeah. I tried four hours because I really wanted to, to follow what the text was saying. That, that didn't work very well. I got down to five and a half. And I was at five and a half for a long time. Yeah. And then I, I noticed that I, I was getting rather irritable. <laughs> yeah. But I don't regret any of that because I stayed up late studying. Yeah. I was studying with Geshe Jumpa Tekchok that time. And, you know, and it was quiet. And I drank tea and ate French bread. And, you know, that strong tea kept me up late at night. And I, you know, I really made use of the time I had studying. Now, lazy. Okay. For as long as death is actually approaching... When does death not approach? For as long as death is actually approaching, then I shall accumulate merit. Even if I then put a stop to laziness, what will be the use? That is not the time. Okay. So, as long as death is actually approaching, I shall accumulate merit and do purification and study and reflect on the teachings and meditate. But, yeah, if I wait until just before I die to put a stop to my laziness, this is the last two lines of the verse, then what will be the use? Okay, so if I relax all the time and procrastinate and, you know, I'll... I'll, change tomorrow, I'll work on this tomorrow, manana in la manana, yeah, then, um, and I don't do it until I'm about to die, then can I really practice that well then? Okay, so we have this image, well, of course I can practice well when I'm dying, you know? I'm clear-headed, I'll sit up in meditation posture, my legs won't hurt, I'll be able to go through all the points in the meditation, and because death is there, I will be highly motivated, and I can purify all my misdeeds, you know, then. It's, it's like if you die with Jesus as your Savior, doesn't matter how long. Before, you know, as long as you take Jesus as your savior, at least three minutes or one minute before you die, you're okay. So we have that thing about him. I'll create merit, you know, I'll wait until the last minute. And then, you know, I'll do this perfect practice and it'll be great. Yeah. Do we think our mind is going to be clear at the time of death? 
Yeah. What's your mind like when you get a cold? Yeah. Can you practice very well when you have a cold? I mean, a cold is kind of, you have a stuffed up nose, you've got to use a lot of tissue. But I have a cold, I can't practice. Yeah, I've got to lie in bed, sleep all day, because otherwise I won't, I won't recover from the cold. Yeah, what do you do? What about when you scrape your knee? Yeah, you know how scrapes can hurt when you scrape your knee? Oh, my leg! I scrape my knee. I, I can't. I can't come to teachings. I can't meditate because my knee hurts so much. I've scraped it, and I can't concentrate. So again, I I have to lie in bed. Yeah, I have to lie in bed and take forty-five ibuprofen. You know, and then maybe in a few days I'll, I'll be ready to to do some practice. Yeah. Yeah, we have very little tolerance for any kind of pain or discomfort, don't we? Yeah, very little tolerance. And yet we think at the t- uh, right before we're dying that nothing is going to hurt, and even if it hurts, we're gonna. It's not going to affect us. Yeah that our minds are so full of distraction right now that we, that we don't even try and control. We just let our mind go. That our minds are like that now, but at the time of death, samadhi. Yeah. So it is quite interesting, you know, how we envision the future. And you're... You know, it's very good. We, there's a few different kinds of me- meditation on death. One is the nine-point meditation on death, which is very good. The, what, the other one is imagining your own death. Okay? And, and really going, going through that from when you get the diagnosis. Yeah. Oh, the doctor said I'm going to die. <laughs> You know, the world stops. Yeah, this is the biggest suffering in the world. I have a a terminal diagnosis. You know, unfortunately, birth was our terminal diagnosis. Yeah. Why are we only realizing it now? Yeah. So... uh, yeah, this imagining our own death. Who are we going to tell? Who are we not going to tell? When our body starts decaying, you know, or starts losing power, how are we going to deal with it? How are you going to feel when somebody else needs to take you to the potty, like when you were two years old? When you can't walk yourself to the potty. Yeah? Or when you start having uh, 
going to the party when you're out in public. Oh, that won't happen to me, said my dad, until it kept happening. Yeah, I'm not going to wear diapers. I don't need them. And until, you know, too embarrassed by the mess left in Walgreens, you know, on the floor in Walgreens, and wear those diapers, which, which I'll. <laughs> yeah, good thing it happened in Walgreens. I, I can get the diapers. You know, if it happened in the bank, I wouldn't, you know, I'd be really stuck. <laughs> yeah. So, what, you know, why do we see, you know, we envision our death and we even glorify and, you know, our death is going to be so wonderful. You know, we're going to have perfect control. We're going to sit up. We're not going to be freaked out. We're totally accepting. Yeah, we're going to hand out apologies for everything, and we're not going to feel guilty about any of the people we harm. And we're going to forgive all those beep, beep, beeps who harm me during my life, because now I'm becoming so forgiving. I'm not holding grudges. Yeah. And then, as I die, my body's going to give off a sweet fragrance, <laughs> showing that I have high realizations. Yeah. Oh, and then everybody's going to be around and say, oh, she was such a good practitioner. Look at that. So peaceful. <laughs> yeah. Usually when you die, your mouth's open. These dead people I've seen, yeah. Yeah, mouth's open. Eyes, sometimes eyes half closed, half shut, rolled back. Yeah, no, but that's not going to be me because she died a great practitioner. Yeah. And they're even going to have some celebration of her life. No, actually, it's a celebration that she's not here anymore. (laughs) Now we can do what we want. (laughs) So, you know, we have this kind of thing. Yeah, and then we're going to stay in Tukdan. Yeah, yeah, the meditation. We've never been able to concentrate during our actual meditation <laughs> when we're alive, but somehow at the time of death we're going to be in Tukdam, you know? And there's going to be a little bit of warmth here, and everybody's going to sit in the room and meditate, and it'll bring them realizations. Yeah. Meanwhile, all the poop and pee is coming out of my body. Yeah, that happens at death, too. Yeah. Because all the winds are absorbing, and, and you know, the all-pervading wind, no, the downward-pervading wind absorbs, and the poop and pee flow all over the place. <laughs> Even out of the diaper you're wearing. <laughs> yeah. 
But somehow I'm going to pull it all together and have realizations and be an incredible example to everybody else of how a practitioner is. And then they'll write up my, my obit, yeah? This beautiful obituary. Yeah. Proclaiming. And everybody who criticized me before is now going to say nice things. Because that's one of the rules, is you have to say nice things about somebody when they're dead. You know, especially as soon as they die. You can't say mean things, right? Yeah, you have to say nice things, even if you can't stand their guts. Yeah. Well, it's nice you learn to say some nice things about other people. Yeah, but better to say it when they're alive. But anyway, people said that about me when, no, they didn't actually appreciate me so much when I, when I was alive. But now that I'm dead, then they really see how kind and compassionate I was. And they're, now they're just going to praise me up, down, and across. Yeah, that's my death meditation. <laughs> yeah? And then they're going to clean out all my stuff. And they're going to see how renounced I was. Yeah. Oh, she hardly had anything. Yeah. Ten shemdops. Fifteen zens. Yeah. Twenty donkas. And a pair of shoes. You know, just like Imelda Marcos. Yeah. yeah, plenty of pairs of shoes for all weathers, all weather. Yeah, you have the inside shoes. I mean, the shoes you wear in Ananda, the shoes you wear in Chenrezig. And then we all get to get new pairs of shoes when we build the Buddha Hall. Oh, goody. You know, and then shoes for the winter and for the spring and the autumn and the summer. Yeah, and extra shoes in case what we're wearing is wearing out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And socks, plentiful socks. Our donors give us so many so- pairs of socks. You know, we're overflowing with socks. And then coats and jackets. Yeah. And all sorts of things. And everybody will look through all my drawers and closets. Oh, she was so renounced. Look at that. Yeah. And then they're all going to look at what's on your computer. You know, all those files that you don't want anybody else to see. Then they're, somebody's going to go through and read them all. All those nasty emails you wrote. And then they're going to go look at all your toiletries and all your meds. Yeah, the big bottles of ibuprofen you have. Yeah, and the big bottles of pain medicine. Yeah, and the boxes of Band-Aids. Yeah, and all the different um, essential oils that will cure everything. And, you know, everything we have stuffed in our drawers yeah, somebody's going to go through and like, huh? 
this bottle's been empty for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I heard Geshe Zopa's um, attendant, who I never met, but I heard a lot of stories about him. A lot of stories. Anyway, he uh, apparently died in his sleep one night because he didn't show up for breakfast. And then they went in his room and he was dead. And when they had to clean out his room, they found Kleenex under the bed, in the bed, used Kleenex all over the place. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, they were going, wow, we never knew about this. But there it was. Um, okay. And then they're going to look through all the letters that you saved. Okay. All your love letters from high school that you couldn't, you know, throw away. Okay. What will be the use? That is not the time. In other words, practice Dharma now. Don't wait until the last minute. Don't put things off. When this has not been done, when this is being done, and when this is only half finished, suddenly the Lord of death will come and the thought will occur, oh no, I am done for. Okay? So we have in our minds, yeah, as part of our schedule, everything we want to do before we die and all the projects we want to complete before we die. Some people now call it a bucket list. They want to go to Disneyland in Florida and visit the mosquitoes and the alligators. Or they want to go to Disneyland in Santa Ana and visit the gangs in the surrounding neighborhood. Yeah, or they want to go who knows where. You know, what people have on their bucket list is amazing. Okay? But when this has not been done, all the things we want to accomplish, you know, I want to do this retreat, I want to study this text, I want to meditate on this. You know, all that planning we do while in retreat? Yeah? All the planning you do. And... uh I want to do all of those before I die. And you have it all planned out this year. I'll do this, then I want to go here and take that teaching, go there and do this retreat, and then go meet this teacher who I've heard so much about and then come back. And I want to do a social welfare project and get that up and running. And then I want to, you know, complete my dissertation on the biographies of all the Singaporean nuns. And... um you know, and, and then uh, think of, um, you know, why calling people Eskimos is now not good. It is, you know, that's the wrong word to use. You know, how is it that language works and that one year it's okay to say Eskimo and the next year it's not? Yeah. 
uh, and, uh, you know, how do people work with language? So, you know, I have to do my dissertation on that one. So I have this whole list. Yeah. When this has not been done, so all the things we want to do, many of them, even Dharma activities, that we've never gotten around to doing. Yeah. And death comes because we're always in the middle of doing something when we die. Yeah. We've never completed everything when we die. Okay. So when this has not been done, when this is being done, you're in the middle of it right now. My dad was chewing that piece of steak in the middle of it. It was a big piece of steak. They pulled it out of his throat later on. You're in the middle of eating your birthday dinner with your family. You're dead before you finish the meal. Yeah. My aunt taking a bath the morning of her son's wedding never got out of the bathtub. Except her body, her corpse did. She never got out. Okay, so we're always in the middle of doing something. And when this is only half finished, yeah, you're doing something, you've finished it halfway, you've gotten stalled, you've gotten stuck. Yeah, your plan for this retreat was to finish volume nine and start on volume 10. And you finally got volume eight. Oh, and to finish editing Venerable Williams' next book. Yeah. All of those, I was all going to get done this retreat. Volume eight finally got sent off the end of January. It was supposed to be off by middle of December. But some delays. Volume nine is still in progress, half finished, just like the text says. Volume 10, haven't gotten to it. Okay, so we're always in the middle of doing something. I'm setting up this nonprofit. Yeah. I'm doing this new project. I'm building a Buddha hall. Yeah. I'm ordering the statue and the ganjira and I'm, and I'm figuring out where the septic system is going to go. And, you know, you're halfway done through all of that. And then, yeah, don't have to worry about that one anymore. Okay, and suddenly the door, the Lord of Death will come and the thought will occur, oh no, that's it. And there's no bargaining with death. Yeah. That, that's what's interesting in anthropomorphizing it. Because with, with living beings, we can bargain, you know. Yeah, we learned how to bargain when we were little. Yeah, it's not fair. I'm not going to do that. You know, well, 
if I give you some chocolate afterwards, will you do it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. See, we bargain. We bargain. Yeah. I don't want to clean up my room. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you an allowance if you do. Oh, yeah, give me the broom. Okay. But can't do that at the time of death. You can't bargain. Yeah. Look, yeah, I've, I've got to finish this series of books. I've got to open this nonprofit. I've got to do this and that and the other thing. Okay. I have it all planned out. And I'm young, so I should have the rest of my life to do it in. Yeah? I have years in front of me. Yeah, many years. So there's time to do all these things. And, you know, I'll just create the virtue as I'm doing it. And, and uh, yeah, I'll accomplish all those retreats, all that study, everything, you know. And death is coming, and you can't say, excuse me, uh, I'm not ready yet. You have to wait your turn. I have something to do today. Yeah, I'm busy. Come back later. Yeah, when death comes, we lose. There is no bargaining. Yeah, have the doctor, you know, do everything possible to keep me alive. Yeah, even though it's totally hopeless. Yeah. When their faces flowing with tears and their eyes red and swollen with sorrow, my relatives will finally lose hope and I shall behold the vision of the messengers of death. So there I am, my imagined death, right? Surrounded by all the people who love me. So that's the whole world. And they're so sorry to see me go. Their faces flowing with tears because they love me so much. At least right now. Not always. Their faces flowing with tears. Their eyes red and swollen because they've been sobbing. They can't bear to, to, to part with me. And they're holding my hand and saying, please don't die. We love you. Please don't die. Okay. And then gradually, my body physically is losing the power to sustain the consciousness. And finally, my relatives go, oh, no, she's unconscious. Yeah. We're hearing the death rattle, you know, when the breath changes. All these other signs of death occur, yeah. There's a flat line. Well, not exactly flat. There's still hope. There's still a little bit of movement on that EKG or EEG. Huh? EKG. With brain rays, you don't have to? Well... Yeah. 
Anyway, yeah, they finally lose hope. And I'm there alone. They're all in the room, but none of them can help me. I'm there alone. I'm the one dying. And they're all sobbing and crying and hugging each other and consoling each other. And But I'm the one dying. And I'm dying alone, even though the room is full of people. Yeah. And I've got to manage this alone. Yeah. There's no... Uh, I can't take out my spark smartphone and dial 911. Yeah, it's happening right now, right here. And I've got to go through it alone. And, you know, I have no idea where I'm going and what's going to happen. All I know is that I'm leaving all of this. Yeah, not just my possessions in my house like becoming a refugee. Yeah. But also the people and social atmosphere that I'm in, that I'm living in. And the biggest thing I'm leaving, this stuff, this body. I'm not going to have this body anymore. Yeah. Who am I going to be without this body? Not just because I don't have a body, but also my whole place in the world, what I think of myself, who I am, so much of it is determined by this lump of vegetable goo. Yeah? It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah? How much of our life is determined by the body we're born into? And and I've gotten used to, you know, I have that identity, but now I'm separating from all of it. And who am I going to be? And what realm am I going into? And am I even going to be aware of what's going on and have any kind of framework for it? So we have the, this image, you know, I'm going to die. Yes, there, there's the, uh, the glimmering, shimmering mirage, you know. There's the smoke vision. Yeah. Smoke vision stopped. Next moment, the, the uh, firefly vision. It lasted its allocated five minutes, and then it, it, it ceased. And then, exactly on time, the dim light at the end of the tunnel. And that had its five minutes. And then, okay, now, here comes the white vision. Yeah. Yeah, we're on time for that, aren't we? Yeah. Red vision didn't show up first, did it? Oh, wait, that vision is pink. Uh Uh-oh, something's wrong. We we, we better back up. (laughs) Let's go back to the firefly and try this again. It's not going according to schedule.
Okay, and I shall behold the vision of the messengers of death. Tormented by the memory of my wrongdoing and hearing the sounds of hell, in terror I shall clothe my body in excrement. What virtue can I do in such a delirious state? That is a good question. Okay. So, you know, if you think during the retreat that things from the past are popping up out of nowhere, anybody here having that experience? Thing you haven't thought about in decades, people you haven't thought about in decades, yeah. all of a sudden, there you are, and like, there's your first grade friend. You know, how did they get in there? Yeah. And then you go off on a whole trip about your first grade friend and everybody else who was in first grade and about the whole neighborhood you grew up in. And, you know, how would you evaluate that neighborhood now? Oh, it's too, it's too wide. All those people have privilege. They don't know about it. Uh, I wonder if any of those people realized it. Oh, I remember hearing so-and-so became a banker. You know, I remember hearing so-and-so died of a drug uh, overdose. And that, you know, you're off and running until, yeah. Anybody have things from the past come out of absolutely nowhere? Okay, so imagine at the time of death that is happening. Okay, but a lot of the things that are coming out of nowhere were some of the nasty things you did. Yeah, the kid I made fun of in first grade. Yeah. The neighbor who threw stones over the fence at me, so I threw stones over the fence at them. Yeah. The kid who I ridiculed. The kid, remember in grade school, the kids who had cooties? Yeah, maybe some of us were the kids who had cooties. You know, don't go near that person, they have cooties. And then some of us were the ones that said, oh, they have cooties, don't go near them. And then you're dying, and you remember all these horrible things you said to other people as a kid. Yeah, any of you say horrible things to other kids? Yeah? Well, probably we're all angels. Yeah. And I can prove I was an angel. I saved all my report cards. Yeah. And under citizenship, it's always an A+. Yeah. The teacher just never saw me say all those nasty things. Yeah. I was always a good girl. Until. And then you're off thinking about how you're no, you are no longer the star student and the ideal child. And okay, so at death time, all of a sudden you're you're remembering these things and you feel horrible about it. Yeah, but 
who are you going to apologize to because you can't even talk? Yeah? Who are you going to apologize to? Yeah, there's a few kids, you know, that I've, I've actually tried to Google to see if I could find them. Yeah? If I could find this one or that one who I was really mean to in school. Yeah? Not so easy to always find people. Because yeah? so many people have the same names. Have you ever realized that? That your name doesn't belong just to you? There's many people who have the exact same name as you do? So in terror, I shall clothe my body in excrement. What virtue can I do in such a delirious state? Yeah, like when you have a fever. Can your mind think clearly when you have a fever? Sometimes, but when you have a really bad fever, have you ever been with somebody who's delirious? It's a trip, yeah? And then here we are. Oh, but I don't want anybody to see me like that. Yeah. Poor Nancy Reagan. I wonder if she was delirious when she died. I mean, she had her whole funeral planned out and had her hair done and everything for it. Okay, so we'll stop here. So again, it's not about pushing. It's about changing our attitude. Yeah, it's about learning how to become a balanced person. Yeah, and personally speaking, I consider that one of my chief aims as a practitioner is just can I become a balanced individual? You know? Not like here, not like there, you know. Can, can I just learn to deal with what life gives me? Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. So it's not about pushing, it's not about panicking. But it's also not going to the other extreme and lying in bed. Yeah, she said not to push and panic. So I'll relax about it. Not that either. You know, finding that evasive middle way. Remember, it's joyous effort. Yeah. It's important that we have joy. Yeah, so hold on. So learn, yeah, learning to enjoy. Uh, last week, Buddha Bear's um, lesson in how to do serpentine walking, yeah? I'm sure some people could look at it and say, well, one person said, well, that's what you get when you do a long retreat. Uh, <laughs> People could say, well, you know, what's happening to those people? They're getting nutty, 
Yeah. But many people wrote and said, thank you. It helped us let go of some of our stress. Yeah. So how do you find the the right amount of What's the melody now? I can never remember it. The right amount of that and going overboard or not doing enough. Yeah. So, yeah. How to keep ourselves balanced so that we can um, function in the world and, you know, do our practice. And do our practice and functioning in the world should go together. They shouldn't be like, this is two hands apart. Yeah, you should be able to read a Newsweek magazine and practice the Dharma at the same time. Because if you don't know what the suffering of samsara is, read Newsweek or Time or whatever you want to read. Yeah. But if you start to feel depressed reading it and you start to feel panicked and freaked out and what they, people call compassion fatigue, then that's, that's not what you should be doing. Or if you read Newsweek and go, oh, too bad for those people, then, you know, that's not what you should be doing. Okay. You had just one question if we're online. Okay. Okay. Why does our state of mind at the time of death influence our rebirth so much more than the all of the merit we created throughout our life? Okay, I kind of answered that question last time. The merit we created our whole life is very, very important. That's why we create it. But to get some of that virtuous karma to ripen, yeah, then it's helpful to have a virtuous mental state. Yeah. If we have, if we're angry when we die, it's going to be difficult for virtuous karma to ripen because our mind is so, is, is stuck in anger. Okay. If we're spaced out, totally spaced out as we're dying, yeah, and we can't direct our mind, then, you know, whatever thought we have will, you know, influence what, the, you know, what karma ripens. So we may have created a lot of merit, yeah, but we also have the seeds of non-virtuous actions in our mind, and we don't want those to ripen. But you can see even on a day-to-day basis, what we're thinking now influences what karma will ripen. You can see that. You don't even have to wait until the time you die. When, When you have a positive attitude during the day, you know, it's much easier for virtuous karma to ripen. Yeah. When we're angry and disgruntled, yeah, much we're really making it much easier for the non-virtuous karma to ripen. Okay? 
So joyous effort, keep, you know, it's learning to keep the mind happy, too. Yeah. And joyful, not because we're getting chocolate, but because we're transforming the mind. Okay. Okay.